Jewish Latin Princess, Episode 9, Rina Reiser, Intuitive Eating Coach. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess, everyone. Welcome back right after Shavuot. I am Yael Trush, your host. I hope everybody had a good holiday. Are you perhaps feeling a little guilty about everything you ate during the holiday? The cheesecake, the blintzes, and everything else? Or maybe you didn't celebrate Shavuot, but you went away for Memorial Day weekend and indulged in a way that has left you feeling out of sorts? Can someone relate to feelings of guilt, shame, uneasiness around food, around weight, obsessive thoughts about what we put in our mouths and what we don't? Today, I have a very open and raw conversation about this topic with Rena Reiser. Rena is a certified intuitive eating counselor and the founder of Mind Over Munchies. She has changed the lives of countless women all over the world who have tried dieting and are fed up of being distracted by food. If you're a woman looking to create a healthy relationship with food and to leave diets behind and reject the diet mentality for good, you must listen to today's show. Through her coaching and intuitive eating, Rena helps women truly get pleasure from the food they are eating, feel at peace and ease with themselves, and she does this in a very, she does the work in a very spiritual way, as you will hear from today's interview. It is it is emotional wor- work and deeply deeply spiritual, and its positive effects will ripple further than just your relationship with food. It'll ripple into other areas of your w- life, and you will see why. I am thrilled to have found Rena and her work, and I'm so appreciative of her sensitivity, her warmth, and her honesty. Today, you will hear about her own journey um, and a relationship with food that wasn't always smooth. We will learn what intuitive eating really is, because um, sometimes we might confuse confuse it with something else. So she will define that very clearly for us. And here Rena's wise take on one powerful confession I made about something that shocked me coming into the religious world. You can find Rena at towardsahealthybalance.com and you can access her program at Taste of Intuitive Eating for free during the next four weeks until July 4th using the code JLPFREE at checkout. Today's interview will illuminate you in many, many ways. It is very, very powerful. Here's Rena Reiser. Rena Reiser, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be had. You're all the way from Israel, correct? I do. I live in Israel. I, oh. I'm originally from Toronto, but now I've been living in Israel for the last um, 11, 11 years. 11 wow, years. wow like that. that's, that's quite a change. That's so awesome. So let's get right to it because it's probably really late over there. Um, and we, we want to get the most from you. Rena, you, you help women stop being distracted by food and their bodies so they can live nourished and pleasurable lives with purpose and meaning. And that's a really awesome mission statement because 
Yeah. At the end of the day, if someone's having issues with their body image or, you know, obsessive thoughts about their diet, that will surely hinder their self growth. So I definitely want to get to that part of your work. But first I want to talk about you because I understand that you yourself came from a place of having had like a rocky kind of relationship with food, with body image and so on. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how you then got started in a path where you could heal whatever was happening with you and then start even teaching others. Of course. Yeah. It's a, you know, our stories and how we come to the the work we do is always so powerful. Yes. Um, So when I was a child, when I was a kid, um, overall my relationship with food was, you know, pretty normal compared to all my friends that were constantly dieting. Okay. Um, I was pretty slender as a kid. Um, I definitely snuck a lot of chocolate bars behind my parents' bag. Um, but it didn't seem to impact my weight. And, um, you know, around the age of like 15, 16 years old, as is totally normal, um, I, I put on like a tremendous amount of weight that year as I was developing. And um, for the first time in my life, I have, I have older brothers. Mm-hmm. I don't have any sisters. And so for the first time in my life, I was bigger than my brothers. And they're all, like I said, older than me. And so that was a little bit shocking to me because I looked to my older brothers and thought, well, you know, they're all pretty petite and slender. So, of course, that's how I'm going to look as I get older. Mm -hmm. And then when my body started changing and looking significantly different than their bodies, it was pretty much it was a very, very uh, strong shock to me. Um, But there was this like knowing in the back of my mind that diets don't work. And maybe it was because I had a friend who was, you know, diagnosed with anorexia during that time. And I remember, you know, asking her like, how much longer do you have, you know, with that like very childish understanding of what these things mean. And of course they can be life threatening, but that wasn't, um, you know, it was just interesting. She was hospitalized. So in my mind, that meant that she might pass away. Mm. So I think that that might've helped me, you know, just realize that obsessing over food wasn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so it sort of continued as I, I went off to Israel to seminary for a couple of years. I put on a tremendous amount of weight. Everyone around me was dieting and I still had the attitude of, well, I put on this weight in seminary. When I go back home, I'm for sure going to lose it. Like it's just going to fall back off. You're, you were pretty and chilled about this. I was pretty chilled. I would mm-hmm. continue eating my ice cream and my cookies and everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I came back and I didn't lose all of it. I lost maybe half of it, but there was still this, I remember going to the gym and, you know, they had like a special at the gym and I signed up to work with a personal trainer and they were offering these meal plans. And I looked at the meal plan and it was like, you know, just vegetables, like really low carb vegetables and a lot of protein, basically no carbs. And I just looked at this, like, this is crazy. Like, how could anybody live like this? (laughs) And so I continued again, weighing more than I wanted to weigh, still having a pretty normal relationship with food. And then uh, I got married. And shortly after I got married, I had a really bizarre infection, really up, upper respiratory infection. I didn't respond um, to antibiotics like regular penicillin that they always prescribe. Mm-hmm. And I continued getting sicker and sicker for over the course of about a week. Okay. And during this time, my mouth, my gums swelled up to, they were totally swollen and bleeding and super sensitive to any food. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was really crazy. And uh, my husband would take a pear, peel it, and then puree it into a plain yogurt. And that's all I could eat over the course of the day. 
because everything else was either too acidic or too hot or too cold. It was a disaster. Uh huh. And during that time, I lost every last little bit of weight that I had gained over all those years. Okay. And that's when my game with food and my unhealthy relationship with food started. Wait, did you just say unhealthy or healthy? My unhealthy relationship with food started. Okay, okay. Because suddenly it became, oh, wow, I could lose weight. <laughs> so uh-huh. I started manipulating what I ate. And at some point I... I went to go see a holistic doctor, and he also kind of put me on a pretty restrictive food plan. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, you know, it was all in the, in the name of health. So I thought I was treating my body as I should be treating it. There's a lot of, um, the media talks about, that. Every, everybody today talks about how to be healthy, we have to look, we have to be a certain size, we have to be a certain weight, we have to have a certain BMI, which has been totally debunked. But anyway, that's that's how my relationship with food went downhill. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was, it's funny because I'd come across the term intuitive eating around that time. And a lot of people kind of throw around the term because it sounds really cool. It sounds like, wow, like, yeah, listen to your body. What sits well with your body? And we take all these sort of ideas that are out there in the world about what, you know, food, what the way we're supposed to eat. And, you know, one of the biggest ones today is sugar, that sugar is, People say, "Are is addictive, and if we eat any amount of it, what's going to happen inside of us? And uh, inside right. of us, we're right. unhealthy." And then we call that intuitive eating because what's my body telling me about what I should eat? Of course, I shouldn't be eating any sugar. And so I had heard the term, and I really, I really, I, I thought that that's what I was doing. So meanwhile, you're on all these different types of diets and a little bit of, you know, restriction, like some sorts of restrictive eating, um, but you think you're engaging in this type of intuitive eating. Yeah, Uh exactly. And meanwhile, I was feeling pretty crazy around food. Um, Can you define that? What does that mean, feeling pretty crazy around food? (laughs) So I I kept my house like, yeah, I kept my house like very, very clean of, you know, any sugar, like sugary, tr- <clears throat> sugary treats or things like that. But uh-huh. as soon as I went to like a kiddish, it was like, I-, I couldn't control myself. You know, I'd be like, no, I really, I can't eat anything here. And then of course, before I knew it, I was eating like t- trying all the different cakes and cookies and everything and just going overboard because uh-huh. I had restricted myself from it for so, so long. Uh-huh. And I, you know, promised myself that I would be so good again and I wouldn't eat those things. And I'd go back home and I would make sure that I would eat super, super healthy again. And only to fall the next time I was faced with those foods at the next kiddish or the next event or whatever it was. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So at what point did you start thinking, wait, something's off here. This is not, this can't be right. This, this is, there's something weird with the way I'm relating to the food. Well, I, I remember I was following a lot of different health coaches and bloggers, uh-huh. of, like eating up all their different posts about food. And there was one in particular she posted a recipe for a smoothie. Okay. I don't even remember what else was in it. I just remember that there was, there was peanut butter in it. And she posted a picture of the peanut butter that she had put in, which was Skippy's natural peanut butter, which I don't know if it still exists. This was already many years ago. <laughs> but basically it, it just, um, it didn't have the hydrogenated oils in it that regular Skippy has. But it had sugar in it. And I sent her an email and I said, hey, did you know that that has sugar in it? Like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're promoting this. <laughs> you know, you're a health coach. After all. How can you like, be talking about a smoothie that has sugar in it? And she wrote back to me. She said, yeah, I don't think that a little bit of sugar is so bad. And 
that to me, that's when like, you know, we say in Hebrew, like Nafala Asimon, like mm-hmm. everything just like fell into place. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just I realized like, oh my goodness, how what have I been doing to myself, to my family, to those around me that I've been so obsessed with not eating any of these foods only to then turn around and yes, eat them when nobody was looking or when it just got so hard to, you know, quote unquote, control myself or have that mm-hmm. self-control. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when I found the original book on intuitive eating <laughs> and actually started reading it and um, started healing my relationship with food. And I worked with a, a coach and um, that, that's sort of my story in it. So, so let's, so let's get to that. Define for us what is intuitive eating. Cause I think for many of us, this is a new concept. And I, I know that that's what you're trying to get your students to, to master and really, and really do. What is intuitive eating? So in short, intuitive eating is a weight neutral approach to having a healthy, to health really. Um, it covers, it covers things like the foods we eat, but it also takes into account our emotions and um, there is a, a level of spirituality in intuitive eating also. Okay, tell us. Um, tell us. Like, what does that mean? What's the element of spirituality that you found ah. in it? Okay, so, I mean, they talk about spirituality for just meaning things like meditation or mm-hmm. connecting to, you know, a higher power, things like that. Right. And um, I've, you know, kind of taken it to a Jewish twist. Well, of course. And, um, for me, what the spirituality, the Judaism that exists that I brought into intuitive eating is the idea of Menuchas HaNefesh, of mm-hmm. having inner tranquility, mm-hmm. which essentially really at the end of the day comes by connecting to Hashem in, right. in all the things that we do. Right, 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 right. And, and it's, it's something that you yourself kind of caught yourself that you weren't experiencing because it's definitely not Menuchas HaNefesh to like being doing one thing at home and then when nobody's watching you know doing something else with your body right so um yeah and like even even the bite even the food I was eating at home to be sitting there and obsessing over every single morsel of food is healthy is it's not healthy what am I doing what am I not doing right 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 definitely very far from right 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 so so this is something I guess that you incorporate in your coaching this whole this whole training of of starting to you know give some some control over to to Hashem to a higher power and and see our body as as a vessel and uh, you know what kinds of things um, regarding that spirituality you know do you do you incorporate it with your with your students? So a lot of people who are what I call like fighting with food in the sense you know whether they've been dieting or just on like some sort of restrictive restrictive mm-hmm. food plan or something um, they tend to a lot of them. A lot of them tend to be like perfectionist type, Ooh. which I myself am one. Uh-huh. Um, and when we are so focused on having like the perfect way of eating, so we are, we're lacking that menuchas and And so by doing things like meditation, deep breathing, in order to bring ourselves to the place of whatever I do next is, is going to be okay. It doesn't need to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect because I'm a human, I'm a mere mortal living in this world. And right. perfection is not something that, that exists here. And so by recognizing that all I can do is just take that one next step, that one next step, just try my best and best, you know, trying our best from a place of like that. Let me say it like this. The opposite of Menuchas HaNefesh is called Pizor HaNefesh, which means mm-hmm. being distracted and frazzled. 
So doing your best from that place of being frazzled means overdoing, means pushing yourself to, to the nth degree. But doing your best, doing your best from a place of Menuchas Nefesh means, okay, so whoops, I forgot to prepare food for lunch. So I'm just going to throw in some pasta and, um, you know, some slices of cheese and cut up some cucumbers and call it a day. Mm-hmm. As opposed to beating ourselves up that um, I didn't manage to make like the most gourmet meal for my family. And I'm such a, you know, I'm such a loser or I'm such a bad mother that I wasn't able to do that for them. But no, you did your best in the moment. So it happens. We can't plan our lives to the nth degree. You know, things come up all the time. So to be able to recognize where we're doing our best and, and say like, okay, until here, the rest, I'm like giving over to Hashem. You know, I, there's only so much that I can do as a human being. Right, 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 right. And, and, and so much of this, uh, you know, our obsession with perfection or, um, and beating ourselves up and, and, you know, for what we cooked or ate or didn't eat or served our families or whatever, it, it becomes like a, you call it yourself in your work, a distraction. And I, and, and I guess it's, it kind of, it could be easy to fall into that type of relationship with food where, you know, we're doing some, we think we're doing something constructive, like wanting to be the perfect chef for our families and wanting to have the perfect weight, whatever that means, right? Um, counting every calorie we intake or me- measuring our portions or whatever, the amount of fat or carbs, whatever the new style might be. But it definitely could take over a person's headspace so much that it becomes counterproductive, the opposite of, of, of what we want to do. So I could see how your work really can, can help people on, on, on all levels, not just, not just food, right? Yeah. What's, um, what's like really amazing about my clients who I, I love very dearly is so many of them are so successful in so many areas of life, Oh, uh-huh. but they can't really seem to get this food thing under control. And once they learn how to become an intuitive eater, they see how other areas of their lives, which were fine, they were doing okay until now, just fall into place in just a much easier way. Like everything just kind of like settles, you know, their parenting, their marriages, their work, their, you know, their relationship to Hashem, whatever it is, exactly. Everything just kind of like flows, settles and flows. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Your coach, you have a, you've coined this term that I really love for your program. You have something called mind over munchies. And I assume because of a lot of what you do um, is teaching really a very fundamental Jewish concept of mind control, of you know, what we call mind over matter, mind control, and, and acknowledging and rewiring our thought patterns, um, which are so ingrained, you know. So tell us about this whole idea of, of mind control, and, you know, how you use it in your program. Wow, okay, we could spend like six hours on this. <laughs> I'm going to try to like keep it as concise but clear as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's an idea a well-known idea that our thoughts are kind of the precursor to all action that we take absolutely and so yeah and so when we have whether it's i mean specifically with food when we have thoughts like this food is good or this food is bad or i can't eat in front of this person or that person because of what they might say about like how could you possibly eat that thing mm-hmm. um thoughts about um, 
what else? Um, those are like the, the, the big ones. But when, when our thoughts are, are guiding us in directions that don't bring us closer to our goals, they're really moving us away from our goals. Mm-hmm. And so by reframing our thought patterns, they actually, we actually change what our end results are. So let's say, for example, somebody who feels really uncomfortable eating in front of a certain person. So by noticing, well, that came from a thought. The thought mm-hmm. is, I can't eat in front of this person because of what they'll say to me. Mm-hmm. If they could reframe it into a way of, well, I am good enough, even if this person makes a comment. Mm-hmm. Or maybe this person won't make a comment after all, and I have all this anxiety that I've created for myself, and they won't say anything anyway. Or... Um, Maybe it'll be an amazing teaching opportunity for me. If the person does say something, I can stand up for myself and I could show my confidence that I can make my own food choices without having somebody tell me what's right for me and what's wrong for me. Right, 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 right. And, and I guess I guess to those thoughts, that something came to mind. Like there's sometimes maybe some, so many thoughts of like shame and guilt around, oh, right? Yes. Right? So much. So, so much. But it could be so destructive. So, so destructive. Yeah. And that, that kind of goes back to this idea of Menuchas Nefesh that, mm-hmm. you know, we're all created. All of us humans are created in God's image. Right. That's it. You know, we're created in His image. So, right. how could we possibly not be good enough to be able to do the things that we want to be doing? Right, right. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, so Rena, let's get a little tactical here. What are some steps that a per, one needs to embark or, or take on to 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 enter this journey of improving our relationship with food and ultimately with our bodies? What are some some practical steps that one should think about or try? Well, what's really nice about intuitive eating is that it's really broken down into ten very, very clear principles. Oh, okay. And there isn't, what's nice about it is that it's a principle, so it's not a rule. So, mm-hmm. you know, a person can be working on being an intuitive eater, even if they've only, they're only really actively working on two or three of the principles because the other ones might be more difficult for them at this time or, huh. you know, hard to reach at this point. Um, but I would say that the first, first and foremost one is, this idea, it's called reject the diet mentality. That's the first principle. And the idea that... What was that? Reject the diet mentality? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> um, you know, there, there's a lot of people have kind of realized that diets don't work. They've been chasing this idea of dieting for so, so long. And mm-hmm. um, they realize that the next best... It, 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 there's no secret diet out there that they haven't found yet. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people have kind of come to that conclusion already but there's still this inherent diet mentality that a lot of people are holding on to just by virtue of living in this world you know going low carb or or counting macros or counting points right not like your typical diet that gives you a specific food plan but it still has a diet mentality which essentially comes down to if every single bite that i'm that i'm taking if if i relate to it as this bite is either going to make me gain weight or lose weight. So that's a diet mentality. I see. Uh-huh. So we're trying to reject that. Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's, 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 that's already in and of itself pretty revolutionary, right? <laughs> yes, it definitely is revolutionary. It's very counterculture. Um, but it's, um, it is the biggest, 
one I, that I think, you know, really has to come first. And um, it's so interesting when we like, all, all it takes is just looking around the world around us just mm-hmm. to see the diet mentality literally everywhere and everything. When From looking through ads in magazines or, or on billboards to when we go shopping, grocery shopping, clothing shopping, the diet mentality is literally in everything we see. And then also, if people just start paying attention and noticing just how frequent it comes up in conversations, like it's just a really, it's just an interesting piece of conversation. Like what's the latest diet you're on? Or like, what are you eating these days? Or, you know, those sorts of things. And it's Or diet starts tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. As they're gulping down a huge piece of cake. I don't know. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. I have to get, it's called like, in the intuitive eating world, we call that like last supper eating. Um. A pretty Christian term, um, right. but uh, the idea that you know I have to get it all in now because tomorrow my diet starts and I'm going to be really good. I see. Right. Even though your inherent good is that you're a person and has nothing to do with what you eat. Oh yeah, I love that. Can you please say that again? That is so important. Repeat it. <laughs> you're inherent. You are inherently good and has nothing to do with the food that you put in your mouth. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Rena, something that struck me when I was hearing your, your, your journey is that you didn't once mention your parents. Um, and you are a mother yourself and it, it, it different from your story. I've heard other women, um, tell me, you know, um, things along the lines or of, well, because my mother was so obsessed with healthy food and serving zucchini and quinoa and whatever, that's why I've gained so much weight over the years. Things to that effect. Like I've, like I've, I've noticed sometimes in the stories, there's an element of, you know, my parents were like this and therefore I ended up like that. So be careful how you parent. So it was, it was, I noticed that you didn't put any blame. You didn't mention anything about you know, how your parents reacted, what they said, what they didn't say when you were going through this, you know, weight gain and this kind of thing when you were younger. Um, Anything to that and anything you want to tell us about parenting? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So it's a really interesting thing that you picked up on. Um, I definitely got comments from my parents as I was growing up. Okay. Um, And it's something I do encourage my clients to really take stock of what were some of the things that were told to you. You know, for example, my um, my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, and so I grew up in a house where we had to finish every last morsel of food on our plates because my grandparents went through the Holocaust and there wasn't food. Right. And so that sort of mentality, which we call like the clean your plate club, um, is um, that can be very, very destructive because that moves us away from listening to our internal cues of hunger and fullness, which are another two principles of intuitive eating. Right. Um, one is honor your hunger and one is um, fill your fullness. And so if we're always eating beyond our fullness, then we're going to sort of lose touch with that cue. So what I do with my clients, what I tell them is, you know, our parents were trying their best. No matter what situation we grew up in, our parents were doing the best that they possibly could. If our parents would have known that by, you know, making comments about us, using that example, finishing all the, all the food on our plate, if they would have known that that was not a healthy approach to eating, they wouldn't have done it. Right. But they did the best that they could in the circumstances. So we're, we're looking back just to sort of gain some insight into where these ideas came from, where our relationship with food may have gone awry. But at the end of the day, all we want to stay there. (laughs) Yeah. We want to have gratitude to our parents and just really look at them. Like they really, they did do their best. 
They have to yeah. believe they did their best. And yeah. it was also meant to be. It was meant to be. We were meant to, to go on this journey. Right. And so there's no blame. It, it, this is what we got. And now we're going to deal with it. Right, right, right. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, Rina, I'm going to go on a little bit on a limb here. And I could probably get in trouble for for saying this, but part of my work is, is being honest in our conversations and these interviews, really having open, honest conversations. And so I'm going to share with you something that I noticed as I embarked on a journey of becoming observant and entering the religious world, which I've already been in for over 15 years. And, and I, sometimes I think about this because it was something that I wasn't expecting within the Jewish religious world, which is that I would find so many women struggling with body image issues and weight issues. And in fact, it was the opposite, which is why it shocked me so much, because it was the opposite of the world that I was leaving behind. Meaning, mm. you know, some people are going to think like, what? You you come from like this Caribbean bathing suit obsessed, beach body obsessed mm. world that was full of people, you know, obsessed with their bodies. And, and there there is that to a certain extent. But I also disagree because I, and maybe it was a generational thing. I don't know. But somehow we had like this normal, yes, there was that beach culture and all that nonsense, of course, but we had this uh, normal, healthy relationship with food. Like we were all pretty thin, but not excessively thin. We worked out, but we also ate. I only knew of one girl growing up with an eating disorder. And, and what actually shocked me is, it shocks me sometimes, is that till today, I see all of my friends that I went to high school with, to college with, and everybody's the same size. Everybody, 15, 20, 25 years later, everybody's pretty much the same size. Nobody's overweight. Nobody's gone through those periods of like, oh my goodness, she's gained so much weight or oh my goodness, she lost so much weight. And then, you know, two years later, you see, like, the, I, I don't know. And then when I entered the, the religious world, I saw something very different. I saw like a lot of overweight women who were struggling with, with, with their weight and their body image and indulging in food in a way that was like over the top and like shocked me because I, I had never, I really had not experienced it. And I'm not saying this, God forbid, coming from a place of judgment, but just more of like an observation that I've had over, over the, over the years. And, and maybe something that is a concern. And I sometimes wonder like what we could do about it. And sometimes I even wonder if, if this is kind of a cultural thing within the world that I live in, you know, could it even affect my daughters eventually when they go out to seminary and, you know, are exposed to girls who, you know, in their families maybe might have experienced this kind of type of relationship with food? I don't know. Any, any thoughts on this? I know that was a lot to swallow, but I, I really wanted to share openly about this. Yeah, so my mind is like shooting in so many directions. Ooh, let's hear it. <laughs> um, so the place I want to start is just with a caveat for, for your listeners. Yes. And I'm not saying that this wasn't the, wasn't, I'm not saying that this is what did happen with your peers, um, back in, you know, in the Caribbean area that you lived in. Um, but just something for people to, to take note of that we never truly do know what's going on with somebody and their food. Like some people are much quieter about it. Um, when I was going through everything that I was going through with my food, for example, nobody, nobody had any clue, really. Like, I kept it very quiet. I didn't really talk about it. I'm a pretty private person. And so That's I wasn't a really very good point. Explicit about it. And so just for people listening, like, 
just because somebody's not talking about their food issues doesn't mean that they are struggling aren't struggling with food. Excellent point. Okay. Um, that being said, I think that um, you know statistically, when it comes to let's say something like eating disorders, so the Jewish world has pretty much the this is again this there's it's hard to get the exact statistics, but especially the religious world doesn't seem to have a higher rate of eating disorders. Okay, but it does seem to be that we have this this greater obsession with with food and dieting. Although there's plenty of dieting in the outside of the Jewish world as well. Right. So it's hard to find the specific numbers, but I think two areas where it comes from very, very strongly in the, in the, in the Jewish world. Number one, there's this idea of us constantly trying to work on ourselves. And I think that this, it's a very Christian idea that has really, um, really come into like the Jewish world. And I think a very, very negative way. Um, this idea that we're, we're not supposed to get pleasure from food and we have to be super careful about what we're eating. Mm. Um, and it's used as like the mashal for like any avodas Hashem, like like the example for how like we're supposed to work on ourselves and, and come closer to Hashem. And I think that there's a lot of danger in that because um, I think it doesn't come from like a, such a Jewish place. I think yeah. it's coming from the Christian world more. Um, like we are meant to get pleasure from food. We are meant to enjoy it. And when we twist it that way, so then we end up. Right. Continue. We twist it that way, we end up relating to it in a really, really unhealthy way. Right. So that's right. kind of like exhibit A and then exhibit so it's B. Kind of, it's like kind of forgetting that all the physical pleasures in this world were putting in the, were putting, given to us by Hashem to elevate them and to, and to enjoy them. And there's, there's godliness in everything that we have to do yeah. in this world. So when we lose exactly. that perspective, that could be really destructive. Exactly. Well said. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. On the other hand, we do have this idea that, and this I see with like a lot of my clients, especially, you know, observant women, that they really struggle to find a creative outlet. So whereas in the secular world, people might be a lot freer about what they do in their free time recreationally. Right. And also they might be freer in what they do as coping, what they use as coping mechanisms, specifically Uh, with like from let's say religious women, it's less acceptable to drink some alcohol when you're feeling stressed. It's just not as acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so women turn to food because it's there and it's available and it's acceptable and everybody's talking about it. That's such an excellent point. Or maybe we have a nourished, an artistic part of our lives because it just wasn't something that was, you know, in in our growing up, our parents couldn't have afforded art lessons or whatever it might be, you know, some other creative outlet, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. There's also the idea that, you know, a lot of women look and, and rightfully so, you know, we look up to the big people in our generation and their wives and we look at them and say, wow. I could be like that, you know, we forget that maybe we're not that. And we also, again, the idea that we don't really know what goes on behind closed doors, who knows mm. what creative outlets these great women had in their lives, mm. or maybe they needed it less, whatever it is. But this idea that we need to just push and push and push and give to our families and give to our communities, which is all amazing and wonderful. And of course we should be doing those things, but not at the expense, expense of taking care of ourselves and nurturing ourselves and finding that creative outlet to ourselves. Absolutely. And so food is right there. It's easy to just eat some chocolate. It's easy to just, you know, as you're preparing your kids' snack bags for the day, grab a handful of Bisley or whatever it is and 
you know, fill yourself up that way. Right. So that's uh, exhibit B. And then I think there is also this idea of this obsession with dieting that um, of, of looking a certain way um, that, that definitely exists in our, in our community as well. I love so much of what you said. I'm so glad we touched on this. And, you know, you remind me of something. I, I, a lot of, of your work, it, it just really reminds me of, of just, just proper money, money coaching and personal finance. And I find like a lot of, I hear from a lot of people who are, you know, friends or whatever that come to me and ask me about, you know, issues they're having, you know, you know spending excessively or whatever. And I very often tell people, you have to get busy. Like you have to get productive with something else, you know, in your life. Being a mother is amazing and great. And there is no greater thing that you could do in this world. Don't get, anybody should not get me wrong. And being a community member and active in your community is also super, super, super important. But aside from that, you have to do something extra that nourishes you, that, 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 is, that helps you put out there whatever it is you're meant to be doing in this world. And, and I, I find that, that being busy with those things leads to a healthier relationship with your money, with your children, with your spouse, yes. and apparently with your food too. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. 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 Okay. So um, we're kind of running out of time. So I wanted to ask you, you know, we've covered a lot of ground here and um, I'm wondering if there are maybe, you know, other than, other than joining your program, which I think would be a great idea for anybody out there who really this resonates with them and they find that, you know, I could relate to this. I could relate to this kind of struggle and, and I would like to improve this area of my life and I see how it could help me in all areas of my life. I think that would be an, a great idea. But just any empowering words that you can leave us with, because I think maybe like, you know, there's some, sometimes we just have to hear something that, that, that takes us to say, I'm going to go take the first step, you know, anything that you want to leave um, listeners with who listeners who might be struggling with their relationship with food. Hmm. Well, I hope this doesn't come across harsh because I'm saying this with so much love. Um, when we think about like, like most people today are dieting. So I'm just going to assume that they're mm-hmm. dieting. Okay. How much joy is it bringing to your life when you diet? Mm. That's what I would want to ask. What is it bringing you closer to your goals? Or is it possibly creating more stress in your life and bringing you further away from your goals? Wow, that definitely is food for thought. That definitely is something to leave us with. All right. All right, Rena, let's, let's have some fun here and let's play some JLP fill in the blanks. And this is a part of the show where I, I, I say a sentence and it's open-ended and you finish it with whatever first thing comes to mind. Yeah, you ready? Great. Okay, let's do it. All right. I am Rena Reiser and I feel most spiritual when? Hmm. When I open my home up to guests. Oh, I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Um, my favorite mitzvah or one that I feel most connected to is? Hmm. I'm thinking along the same lines of <laughs> opening my home up to guests. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? I'm going to say giving birth. I, I, I know it's not specifically Jewish, but... Um, it felt very spiritual. It is, right? It is so, so I'm, I'm with you. It is just really a spiritual experience. I, I, I've, I've often said that if, 
somebody, God forbid, says that they don't believe in God, I think that changes the minute you give birth. It just, it, I, I, I feel like it has to change because you really experience God right then and there, don't you think? Absolutely. Right? All right. Absolutely. When I give to DACA, I like to give to? Um, the schools in my community. Oh, very nice. Uh, and finally, I am Rena Reiser, and today I am most grateful for? Um, my amazing, beautiful clients who inspire me and light up my life, literally. Oh, I love it. I love it. Rena, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity. I love this honest conversation. It's such an important conversation, such an important topic. And I, I encourage everybody to go visit Rena at towardsahealthybalance.com. And I think you have a gift for listeners, don't you? I do, indeed. I, um, I've created a program um, called A Taste of Intuitive Eating. Uh-huh. And- an 18-day email program, and it normally um, costs $21. Okay. And for the next month until the 4th of July, I'm happy to give it to your listeners at no cost to them at all. Um, so they'll get a daily email for 18 days and then um, a Q&A call that I had done with some people after that. Um wow. And yeah, it would be my pleasure to get women started on this journey. That would be awesome. So all they have to do is go on towards a healthy balance.com and click on a taste of intuitive uh, eating. And then there's a code JLP free, perhaps that they use. Yeah, you got it. Okay. So they, so everybody, the, the code is JLP free at checkout when you register for a taste of intuitive eating. And the, I mean, it, it seems like it's a very comprehensive and powerful 18 day journey, which seems to me, cause I was researching a little bit ahead of time that, that it's not just an 18 day journey. It really takes, you know, it really, it really puts you on a path of, 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 of work of self growth, right? Absolutely. And you can pause it. You can take a break from it. You can go back to it. Definitely a lot of food for thought and a very introspective program. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Rena. Thank you for taking the time to do this. And, and we appreciate you so much and your work. This was so insightful. I, I personally had never heard about this concept of intuitive eating. And I think it's so important to to have heard about it and to keep looking, you know, everybody go on Rena's website again, towards a healthy She also has a blog there with tremendous, a lot of information. And I think this could be very, very helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure, pleasure talking to you. You made it so easy to talk about this so openly. So thank you. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin princess podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.